you remember we had one. So it was 12-2. Uh, now don't get afraid, but um, we're going to have a memory verse for the second half as well. Okay, so so don't get scared. Okay, God is my self. Oh, I forgot the behold. Behold means listen up, pay attention. This is important. Um, like Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say to you. That's like all right. If you don't get anything else, get this. So behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Good job. So um, so we'll have a verse um, in. Maybe next week I'll have little like bookmarks or something for you. Okay, so um, the handout, where's mine? I might need an extra. I'll get this one. Um, this is a little bit of what I'd put on the board the, the previous weeks a couple of times. Um, the first big section is chapter 1 through 39. And that was basically God pointing out, like, you guys just aren't cutting it. You know, I called you. I provided for you. You're acting like dumb animals. You know, all that stuff. You're going through the motions. You're, you're trying to depend on human, uh, like, other governments and alliances with these pagan kings instead of listening to me. I'm your God. I want to take care of you. I want to provide for you. And and so that was, the the like, the first half. Then... There's basically um, chapter 40 through 55, which you are here, is God calling his people to servanthood. It's like, okay, now you've, you've messed up, but I'm still interested. I still want you. I, not only do I want you, but I am able to deliver you. And, and, and he's telling them that they're going to go into exile, but that he is able to bring them back. And not only bring them back, but you know, build them up, protect them, make them a glorious nation that's, that, is, that will be a witness to or a light to others of, about who God is. So he's got plans for them. And um, we broke that section down into why should they serve God? And then he goes into all the wonderful things that he's done for them in the past. He talks about the exodus and different things through uh, Israel's past, and then, well, okay, how could they serve God? Because obviously they're not doing so well now, and, and that's when he introduces the fact that there's going to be a perfect servant who atones, brings atonement for them. And so that's getting down to about where we'll cover today. So 49 to 52 is the anticipation of salvation, and number two is... Um, 50, the middle of 52 through 53, which covers, um, that's the, the well-known passage about the suffering of Jesus and what he does. And then uh, thirdly, he says, okay, I've provided everything that's needed, or I will provide everything that's needed for your salvation. So what's the problem? Come, you know, come to me. Um, and then I've noted with those heavy arrows where the four servant songs fall in there and those are just passages that pretty clearly talk about Jesus and and what he's what he will do bringing justice bringing comfort light and righteousness and then the last few chapters the last 11 chapters are okay here's how you can tell if you're really following God 
if you're really a true servant of God and it talks about what godly character is and all it, there's a lot of stuff about the new heavens and the new earth and all that um, and the first section is listen we can't do it on our own we tried that and it didn't work then then what God what God will do in his people and then finally the fact that it's God's ability not their ability that's going to allow all these wonderful blessings and changes and um, growth to happen. So that's kind of an outline of the rest of Isaiah. And probably when we get to chapter 56, I'll probably give you an outline that expands this a little more. So that's covered also on your chart, of course, but you might want to look at the chart um, while, you're, while you're watching the video. Um, let's see. <clears throat> I would say, let's go ahead and watch the video now. And like I say, this is, this is put out by the same people that did this chart, so it should follow pretty closely, okay? So it's about eight minutes, and they talk fast, <laughs> but you've got this, um, I don't know, is the very powerful hope. Yay! <laughs> it ends well. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, I do. He cited some references, but I don't know that they're on this chart. Oh, eight six. Oh, they're up here. Eight sixteen. I don't know. Did you look at those to see if they sound like? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't either because I didn't remember that those verses were there. So that is a big controversy over, um, you know, the second part, but of how Isaiah could could talk about those things. But it's no different than other prophets. You know, talking about um, things that are going to happen 100, 200 years in advance. So I don't get um, too worried about, oh, how could Isaiah talk about those things? Because that's one of the features of a prophet is to talk about some things that are going to happen in the future. So, yes, exactly. John for Revelation, um, Steve says. Okay, so... Um, so when we looked at chapter 47, it was mostly about the destruction of who or what? Babylon. So, so God's kind of given his people a vision of like, look, I'm way bigger than this enemy that, you know, that's taken and doing all this stuff. So I will, I can take care of them. I can, I can get you out of there because I'm way above Babylon. And so he uses um, King Cyrus and the Persians and all that. And then in 48, there was a repeated theme, chapter 48, of listen, uh, pay attention, hear. Uh, I can't remember the other phrases, but like we said, like 13 times in that chapter. So it's, it, it's the call to get them to listen up and to, and to um, pay attention, to heed, not just to hear the words, but to heed what God is telling them about his ability and his 
his love and interest. So he not only does he want them to come to him and that he might provide not only short-term uh, redemption from, from the exile that's coming, but also spiritual redemption. And that, that is, um, part of that is not even fulfilled yet. You know, in the video, they talked about the new heaven and the new earth. So, so we are ready to jump into chapter um, 49. And I just want to say the Bible Project, that's the name of the ministry that did this video and these charts, they have uh, not, only, not only a video or videos and, and a chart for every book in the Bible, I believe every book now, that you can just go on and for free uh, use, uh, if you're in some other study and you, you guys are studying, you know, Philemon or something, they have that. They also have other uh, more like themed uh, things like, like they'll talk about um, the theme of grace through the whole Bible or something like that. So, so they have lots of resources and a little plug that one of the main guys is a Multnomah grad like me. So... <laughs> And actually, he spoke at that Bible conference that I went to just recently. Okay, uh, chapter 49. Now, it starts out and it says, uh, listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, O peoples from afar, and all that stuff. And then there's all this me, my, me, me, my. Uh, and did you have trouble figuring out who me and my referred to? Oh, you didn't have trouble? No. Wow. Yay. Tell us, tell us. So, so I want us to go through a, a little process that you can use whenever you come to a passage that is kind of confusing. So on the flip side of that handout that I gave you, there's a little chart. And so um, as we go through these, at this point, there's at least four entities that have been called God's servant. He said, my servant Cyrus, remember he said, you know, he's my servant, I will, you know, he will do my will and all that. Um, sometimes he calls Isaiah the prophet his servant. Sometimes um, I put Jesus, but we know it's like, kind of like for them, it would be like the Messiah, um, that what he's going to do and, and, you know, all what, how God will work through him. And then sometimes he's talking about the people, the Judah or Israel. And did you notice that it seems like even though Isaiah was a prophet, was he a prophet to the north or the south? South, which, which we call Judah. Sometimes now they're just calling it Israel, right? Because that's kind of like all that's left of Israel. So don't be confused when he says Israel, it doesn't refer to the north. And so as I read the first few verses, you can just think about, like, could this be true of Cyrus? And this is a way to kind of help you figure out probably who this servant is that he's talking about in the first few verses. So um, I'll read the first four verses, and you can either put the verse number or a little check or an X or something. Um, if I read something that you say, oh, well, that couldn't be Isaiah, then you put a little note in the probably not column. See what it, like, you're just going to see, like, what, what can you glean from this? So, um, listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. So that sounds like more than just Israel, right? 
the Lord called me from the womb. Okay, so is that any clue? <clears throat> from the body of my mother, he named me. <laughs> or Isaiah, maybe. No, I don't know. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. Okay, so that's probably not Cyrus because Cyrus didn't do what God wanted him to do in God's big plan. He didn't do it by speaking. He did it by military maneuvers, right? So, so that's probably a, a, a vote against it being Cyrus. Uh, in the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me and he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. So concealed me and hidden me. Hmm. <clears throat> he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. So that kind of sounds like he's maybe talking to Israel, possibly. But I said, so now who, who is this talking? I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Okay, so, well, you're just, you're just going to think what you think, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think, I doubt Cyrus said that because he was successful in what he set out to do. Yet, surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. Okay, so, <clears throat> so <clears throat> in those first four verses, <clears throat> can you say any of those four, it's probably not? Can you say any of them, it seems more likely? Did you eliminate any of them, probably? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's Cyrus. So that leaves the prophet, that leaves... Jesus, the future, uh, the servant, capital S, and it, and it leaves Judah and Israel. So, so what were the best um, clues as to, well, like we talked about elimination, what were the best clues as to who it might be? Like what convinced you? Mm -hmm. um, yes, verse, Carol. Verse four kind of sounds like Isaiah. Okay, because he was frustrated. Yes. 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 So Isaiah was was no doubt frustrated that the people didn't listen. So that that could be Isaiah, right? Um, oh, I I forgot to say disregard the capitals. Um, there, I may be wrong, but I believe there are no capital letters in Hebrew. So this has been. Um, the people that translated this and, and um, you know, put it into English, this is their understanding of what's being said. And then even with that, sometimes it's hard to tell who the he that's capitalized refers to. I mean, the I, I is always capitalized when it's referring to a person, so that doesn't help us much. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, that's been mentioned with Jesus. It has. Good that's point. Um, Hebrews, Hebrews 4.12. Yeah. And 
I believe Revelation 1.16. Anybody have that one down? I've got that in the margin. I think it goes with that section. Also, Revelation 2, verses 12 and 16. Revelation 1.16. Revelation 2, verses 12 and 16. And it could be about, I thought about when it says, you've concealed me, you've hidden me. Um, it was pretty late in history when Jesus came in a visible form. So that could be talking maybe about Jesus. Um, okay, so we have some ideas here. Um, yes. Yes, he definitely, what, Jesus was was um, God's means to show his glory. And, and Jesus said, you know, I glorify my Father. Um, okay, so, so we've got some, some different ideas here. When it says, he said to me, you are my servant Israel. On first glance, you would say, oh, he's talking to Israel. You are my servant Israel. But, but it could also mean, now, you know, don't, don't think I'm too weird. It could also mean there's a concept that Jesus uh, fulfilled some things that God intended Israel to do and they failed. Think about, for example, Jesus was tested in the wilderness. Israel was tested in the wilderness and they kind of didn't do so well. But Jesus was tested in the wilderness and he succeeded. You know, he obeyed the Father. He resisted temptation. He depended on God, all that kind of stuff. So there's several ways. That's just, I can't think of others right now. But there are several ways that Jesus fulfilled what God's intention was for all of Israel. Yes, I think it might be. Yes, might be a personification. Hmm? A personification. I mm -hmm. think it is Jesus because when you look at the next verse, it says, in whom I will show my glory. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it says, Jesus, he's going to show mm -hmm. his glory. And so did Jesus say in verse 4, I have toiled in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity? Well, I don't know. I mean... The last part of that sounds more like Jesus. Surely the justice due me is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. Um, so. Other than in Isaiah, I don't ever see it anywhere in the New Testament. That Jesus uh, felt like he had not accomplished what he. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, there are some, there are some um, hints like back in chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, when it first introduced the idea of this, the branch coming. And, and it may just be the fact that he was rejected, that the nation didn't get it. The nation of Israel didn't get it when Jesus actually came on earth. So, I mean, this isn't easy. You know, let's, let's go on and read the next four verses or, yeah, four verses. Five down through... Um, eight or seven. Okay, so um, verse three said that he said to me, now verse five says, and now says the Lord, and notice that when it says who formed me from the womb and all that clear down to the end of verse five where it says, and my God is my strength. That's all a parenthesis. 
talking about what the Lord has done. And then it, then it picks up in verse 6. So he says, and now says the Lord, oh, by the way, this is the God who did this and this and this and this. Uh, and then in verse 6 he says, and so what he says is, he kind of reminds us like, yeah, I was telling you, I was telling you what God says. So keep that in mind. All right. And now says the Lord, verse 5, who formed me from the womb. That's kind of like what we read up above in verse 1 to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. So I don't think that Jacob Israel is going to bring Jacob Israel back, right? Probably Cyrus isn't. So that's probably either Jesus or maybe God ministering through Isaiah. Uh, four, okay. Um, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, okay, so now this is what the Lord's saying, because all that was a description of what God's done and how, how the servant views himself in relationship to God. Um, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones? That's like the remnant. Um, of Israel, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And then we'll read verse seven as well. It's pretty long. Thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and its holy one, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will, rise, will see and arise, Princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. So is, is, the, is the you in 5 through 7 the same you as in 1 through 4? We have to think about that too. Okay, back up. Yep. And, and the one thing I think of is how long must I be with this generation? Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus said. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so Steve's saying that back in verse four, when it says, "I've toiled in vain; I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity," that could. Um, connect with when Jesus said, how long must I be with this generation? Like, you know, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. Um, he said sometimes to his disciples that I like to refer to as the knuckleheads that, um, that um, have I been with you this long and you still don't get it? You know, so, so he was a little, um, I don't know if you'd say disappointed or whatever that they weren't picking it up as quickly as he thought. Uh, would be ideal, which um, which is kind of true of me as well. I don't pick it up as quickly. Um, so so that so we shouldn't assume that it can't be about Jesus, because in in reality he did not toil in vain. But there was a uh, there were some periods of time where he could he could look like he did, and I think we'll see that a little bit more in the next chapters that. You know, like he was despised and rejected. Uh, we we viewed him as 
we thought that what happened to him was because he had done wrong and God was punishing him, that kind of stuff. So we're going to see that theme a little bit more. So probably, so who do you think this is about? Oh, yes. Oh, have any of these four toiled in vain? I'm just saying we first looked at the Right. Well, I think somebody, Carol or somebody said Isaiah could have thought that because the people weren't getting it. Um, I, I think Cyrus was successful in what he wanted to do. So that, that particular aspect probably doesn't refer to him. And I don't know that Judah and Israel even toiled much. I mean... <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of like the idea of, hey, I gave it my best. I did everything I could, and I'm not seeing results. And I don't think that Israel would be able to say that, at least honestly. So, Wasn't uh, Isaiah told by God that he was going to say these things, but they're not going to listen to you? Um, was he? Was Isaiah told that the people would not listen? I know Jeremiah was. I know Jeremiah, but maybe Isaiah. When God commissioned him, did he say that they wouldn't listen? I think that was chapter 6. Yeah, was that? He may have. So, so overall, who do you think is hap who, who are we talking about in these first seven verses? Is it? Is it the same in the first section as in the second section? Is he talking, is all of this about Jesus? Is it about Israel? Is it about, I think we, I think we can probably say it's not Cyrus, although he's been referred to God as, to as God's servant. So, so um, what are the top, what are the top choices? Isaiah and Jesus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Isaiah was, even though his prophecy has been recorded and it and it goes out to other than Jews, when Isaiah ministered, it was mostly to God's people. It was mostly not to the Gentiles. So that's a good point, Susan. Okay. Well, let's go on in the chapter um, and see if the context gives us any clues. <coughs> Um, so verse 8 says, thus says the Lord. Okay, so now this is like a different, a different little, little section that's set off by, this is God speaking. And um, again, we're gonna, who's the you? Because he talks about, I've helped you, I've given you this, I've done this, I've done that. And then some, um, some results or some um, effects. Okay, verse 8. Thus says the Lord, in a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people to restore the land and to make them inherit the desolate heritages. Um, and We've already seen that phrase to give you a covenant uh, as a covenant for the people. That was back in chapter 42, verse um, 6. So, <clears throat> who, 
who would God give as a covenant to the peoples? I think that's probably sounding like Jesus. Because from the very get-go, <clears throat> his purpose was that working through the Jewish line that he established, that God established, that, that he would ultimately bless all nations. And even when he called Abraham, God said that. Here's my ultimate purpose. You guys, this line, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to give you some guidelines. I'm going to protect you, defend you, love you, um, be patient with you, and all that, because I want you to be exhibit A to the world of how, um, how a group of people can function and be blessed if they live according to the way that I want you to live. And so they didn't do so well. But even in the Old Testament, God said that he wanted all of his people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So everybody is supposed to, all of his people are supposed to be a priest who represents God to the people and the people before God and to be holy, um, holy people. So, so that idea of every member, every person being a light and being representing God was there even in the Old Testament, even way early on. Okay, so let's, <clears throat> so he talks about restoring the land. And then verse 9, um, so I will keep you, I will give you for a covenant. And then these are the things that are going to happen. Restoring the land, making them inherit the desolate heritage. Okay, saying to those who are bound, go forth. And to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. Along the roads they will feed, and their pasture will be on all bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. Why? For he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways will be raised up. Behold, listen up, truly, truly, pay attention. Behold, these will come from afar, and lo, these will come from the north and from the west and from the island of Sinim. Uh, shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. Why? For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. So... <clears throat> What do you make of that section? Didn't we have, we had a question, um, question three at the top of page 26, where they ask us to kind of summarize each paragraph, give a little title. And so uh, what did you have for um, eight to 13? There will be a time, Susan says, there will be a time when the Lord restores Israel. It'll be like a second exodus. Did you notice how many, through these chapters, how many times God referred to the exodus? You know, I'll part the sea, I'll do this, I'll do that. So that was a huge event in their past. And he's saying, I'm still the same God. I'm still the same God. You're still my people. And I will continue to do miraculous things on your behalf if you look to me. 
Is it also an end time prophecy? I think it might be when it talks about people coming from all directions. Is that the part that you're referring to and the joy and the shouting? Also, um, well, let's see, maybe it's in chapter 50. There's, there's some stuff that really sounds like it probably has to be end times. Because remember, it's okay if things are fulfilled uh, closer to when they're, when they're uh, spoken and also later. Like the, the, the first um, fulfillment is almost a, uh, an encouragement that there might be a greater fulfillment. Okay, um, let's see, where are we? Okay, so he's talking about he's going to do all this stuff. He's going to bring them back. Um, um, <clears throat> and right in here, there's several familiar themes. Do you, do you find Isaiah's kind of repetitious? And I thought, you know, this could have been said in less than 66 books, fewer than 66 <laughs> chapters. Um, and remember, they heard it orally. They didn't have it written down. So, so he repeats these different themes. And I think we said at the beginning, it's kind of like a, kind of like a symphony uh, a beautiful piece of music where the flute is prominent here and the cello is prominent here and then there's a drum, uh, you know, and rhythm section here, but it all flows together and they eat, uh, different, different um, instruments come to the front at different times. And so he's talking about, again, we've, we've heard about flocks safely grazing. We've talked about how he provided for them when he brought them out of Egypt. We've seen that idea of the highway being smooth several times. So he's saying, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to go before you. You may see no way that I'm going to do this, but I will go before you and I will make it happen. So, um, uh, Sinem in verse 12. That can't mean it's time. <laughs> Phew. <laughs> um, Sinem, um, some people think that it might refer even to, the, to like Asia, like China, but it makes a little more sense to me because he says from north and west and from Sinem. So I'm thinking, well, it, it must be south. It could be way east. So um, some people think it's, it's, it's a version of the, of the word Aswan. That's a place in Egypt. So I don't think it's terribly important that we know for sure where that is. Um, yes? Achievers. So Joe's saying that this passage talks about how God will work in such a way that nothing will, will stand in the way of him accomplishing what he wants to accomplish, which includes his people being a light to the nations, his people um, spreading the word about him. And so far they've been underachievers, <laughs> she says. So that's a good way to put it. Okay. Um, let's go on then to 14. Um, okay, so there's a problem. What problem arises in verse 14? 
because it starts out but so So they're, so they're complaining, the Lord has forsaken us, the Lord has forgotten us, or me. Zion um, is, is another name for Jerusalem, right? And, and sometimes it might even refer to the people. So, um, um, and then he talks about kind of an interesting picture there um, in verse 15. He says, well, he compares himself to a woman and his people as a nursing child, somebody who's providing for, uh, protecting, uh, feeding, all that stuff. And he says, um, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? And then he says, well, you know, it's rare, and we might hear about it on the news if, if a mother does that. He says, it's rare, but I will not forget you. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands and your walls are continually before me and your builders hurry and your destroyers and devastators will depart from you. So he's talking about the city partly like their walls and all that stuff. But uh, some people think that when he says I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands that that could even be a reference to Jesus dying on the cross for them. You know, the nail through his hands, I, you know. I, it's not super direct and clear, but it's a definite possibility. Um, okay, so then uh, 17, um, you know, I'm going to work against the people that, that want to harm you or, or break you down, and I'm going to um, help or enhance the people that want to build you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All of them gathered together, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you will surely put on all of them as jewels and bind them on like a bride or as a bride. Uh, for your waste and desolate places and your destroyed land, surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants and those who swallowed you will be far away. The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, this place is too cramped for me. Make room that I may live here. Um, in the next chapter, verse 50, he talks about them feeling like, um, like a, uh, a woman who's been put away in divorce or the children and the children have died. Remember, we've seen that theme before. So here he's saying, you know, there's going to come a time when you're going to have to make more room because so many of my children are going to come back that you're going to need to expand. Um, he's going to bring them from all over the world, as we just read. Um, then you will say in your heart or to yourself, who's begotten these for me since I have been bereaved of my children? Remember, this is, this is Zion talking, you know, not that the city speaks literally, but, but the, the mood or the thought or the, the sentiment or the, the attitude will be, you know, oh, I've lost all my kids and all that stuff. And God's abandoned us. But he says, oh, no, I'm bringing your children back. And you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me since I've been bereaved of my children and I'm barren, I'm an exile, and I'm a wanderer? And who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. From where did these come? 
And thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations, and I will set up my standard to the peoples, and they, they, the peoples, will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. Kings will be your guardians. And that guardian um, has an implication of like being a foster parent. Um, and their princesses will be your nurses. Uh, they will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet, which is kind of a picture of like humility and submission. And you will know that I am the Lord and those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. So he's saying, I'm, again, I'm going to bring Zion. You're barren right now. Your people have been taken into exile, but I'm going to bring them back. You know, I, I can do that. In fact, I'm going to bring so many that you're going to have to expand be, to make room for them, right? <clears throat> so that's God's answer when they said, Oh, man, he, do, he doesn't know. He's forgotten us. He's, what did he say? He has forsaken us and forgotten us. That's verse 14. And so 15 down through um, what we've just read is God's answer. Like, au contraire, I have not forgotten you. You know, I'm, I'm still at work. Now, none of us ever think God's forgotten us, but, you know, you might run into somebody who says, gosh, where's God in all this? And you can just remind them that he's working things out in his own timing. He's, he's doing stuff, and you just need to, uh, what did it say, wait, hopefully. That doesn't mean just put in the time, but it means look to the Lord. It means um, should I be doing something to prepare? You know, if God said he's going to do this thing, what do I need to be doing now to prepare both in my character and in just, you know, practicality? If God's really going to do this, I better do what I need to do to, to receive it. So he has a pretty good argument against their whining. <clears throat> and then in verse, um, well, verse 22 um, he, he's still talking about that, about what will happen. And then the end result there at the end of 23 is you will know. When I do all this stuff, you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. And now uh, verse, the last three verses, a little bit different purpose. In, at the end of verse 26, it says, and there, and all flesh will know that I, the Lord, I am, am your Savior. So God showing favor and protection and renewal and compassion and forgiveness and all those wonderful ways that he relates to his people, the Jews, that's going to be something that other people are going to marvel about and it's going to get people's attention. So it says, and all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. <clears throat> so uh, 24, 25, and 26, uh, he talks about, um, you know, if somebody's really, really mighty and strong and they have something captive, a person or something captive, can you get it away from them? Well, probably not. But I can get you guys away from Babylon. I'm able to do that because I'm greater than Babylon. So that's what he's telling them. I will contend with the one who contends with you. And I will save your sons. I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh. And they will become drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. 
and the result will be that everybody can see, wow, God did something pretty unusual for his, his um, special people. Okay, did you have a title for chapter 49? God promises salvation and deliverance. Yes. Anything similar or different or? The Lord will establish the. Will. Reestablish. The lost of Israel or the um, through Messiah. I put servant redeemer brings salvation. <laughs> I thought, oh, I got one that's pretty short this time. So that's kind of the point of that. So, okay, let's, uh, what time is it? How are we doing? 10.56. Oh, we're good. We're, we're good. Okay, chapter 50. <clears throat> chapter 50 is pretty short. Um, what do you have for a title for it? The Lord can and will help those who trust him. God will ransom his people. <clears throat> the Lord rebukes Israel for their lack of faith. <clears throat> I have um, unbelieving Israel should obey the obedient servant. So, okay, so this is um, <clears throat> a fairly uh, short chapter. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. Um, again, uh, you had a, a part of your assignment in thinking through this chapter was um, on page 20, starts on page 26, question four, the paragraph divisions, and you gave um, titles or summarized what happened in each one of them. <clears throat> so the end, at the end of chapter 49, he said, as a result of all this, <clears throat> all this that God's going to bring about, that Israel will know that he's the Lord. And if they wait, hopefully for him, they will not be put to shame. That was verse 23. And then down at verse 26, that all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, and I am the Mighty One of Jacob. So now um, it's almost like he kind of is going back to their complaint. Did you think that? Okay, so thus says the Lord, where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Okay, so a certificate of divorce, there's two ways of looking at this. One is that, <clears throat> um, that, they, that they could, in the Old Testament, that they... If, if women couldn't do this, but men, if men divorce their wife, um, they, if, if they just like, yeah, I'm just tired of her, and there wasn't, she hadn't done something heinous, something really, you know, bad, that the reason that he was getting rid of her, then he would give her a certificate of divorce, which, which I think kind of made her maybe eligible to be married again. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, it, it was like... Um, you know, it's not her fault, basically, is what he's saying. <clears throat> but um, so he could be saying that since Judah was at fault, they, Judah's disobedience and, and uh, 
not paying attention to God and doing their own thing and trusting others and all that, that, that had brought the distance in that relationship. It wasn't that, that they had no faults. So he could be saying, hey, you don't have a certificate of divorce because you did have faults. And the other way of looking at it <clears throat> is that um, you, I think you could also, um, if there were charges against the person, then you listed them on this certificate. It's like, here's why I'm getting rid of her. She did this, she did that, she didn't do this, you know, and so you build a case. So it could be saying, um, you guys are trying to blame me, but I'm saying, hey, pay attention to what I've told you the charges are. So I'm not sure, you know, scholars are kind of divided about that, but the point is <clears throat> that if you're saying that I have sent your mother away, in other words, your people, or maybe he's referring to Zion still. If, if you're saying that I've sent you away or that I've sold you, let me set the record straight. Behold. So he's saying, no, you were sold for your iniquities. Like you guys made choices and did things that led to you being sent into exile uh, for your own transgressions, for your iniquities. And and then um, he talks about uh, why was there no man when I came and when I called, why was there none to answer? Is my hand so short that it cannot ransom or I have no power to deliver? Like, do you think I can't bring you back? Uh, and then again, behold, like, listen up, guys. In reality, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. So these, these sound like they might be referring to the time of Exodus, right? Uh, talking about the fish stinking. And, and remember, uh, there was a deep, a deep blackness that says so, a darkness so, so dark that it could be felt. Uh, so, so that could be, um, that could be what he's talking about, and he's saying, "Look, I, my, I'm not weak. Is my arm to, you know, my hand or my arm so short that it cannot ransom? You know, no, I, I'm well able to take care of this. Trust me." And and he's reminding them of things that he did in the past, right? Okay, so then that's the first three verses, and then. Um, Verse 4 through 9. Did you put a little title to that paragraph? What was happening there? Okay, so there's kind of a shift again, isn't it? Now, you notice on that outline, I marked where uh, what a lot of scholars refer to as the four servant songs. And so um, servant song number three starts here in verse 4. And so most scholars, you're right, think that this is about Jesus. Um, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. That really impressed me. In fact, part of, part of um, verse 5, verse 5 is going to be our memory verse, but I'm going to give it to you in a certain version that I think um, will be easy to, to learn. <clears throat> He's saying... 
Remember it says in the New Testament that Jesus learned obedience by the things he went through. Like he had, he had to fully um, experience, except for sin, what it was like to be human. So he had to learn how to walk in obedience in a different way than the, the mutual respect and harmony that the, the persons of the Trinity had in eternity. So, he, so when he came to earth, he had to learn some things about following God and you know, walking with God each day. So I just think this is pretty impressive that it says, um, he awakens me morning by morning awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. A disciple is a learner. So to me, that speaks about Jesus walking with God day by day, spending time with God, listening to God day by day, which is a pretty good model for us. Right? Yes. 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 Daily deep fellowship with God, she says. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, they're they're just afraid he can't. Maybe God can't quite handle this. I mean, he can do some things, but you know, I put lesson for life out there in the margin. <laughs> be sure that um, you know. I don't ever want this to be a history class. Um, although the history is very interesting, but, um, you know, take it to heart. Ask the Lord, what is there here for me? Um, like I put up in, in, up above verse two or so, I said, I should stop blaming, blaming God and acknowledge my part and turn to him, you know. And then down here where, where it says, um, you know, just that daily time with him. So he awakens me morning by morning, awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. That's the learning. Oh, um, I think I have John 434 written down. Is that where it says he learned obedience by the things he suffered? Um, maybe. And then verse five says, the Lord has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. That's that's going to be our memory verse, but um, don't get all excited and memorize it. Well, I mean, you can, but I, I uh, picked a different version because I think it is a little easier for us to relate to. This is um, NAS. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. And then this sounds like what? The next few verses. What does it sound like? It sounds like the crucifixion, doesn't it? And, and apparently the um, writers of the Gospels thought so because several of these phrases and some whole verses are used in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in their account of describing, you know, they would have been familiar with this passage. And so they use these, these, um, this language to describe. Um, gave his back to those who struck him. Uh, they plucked out his beard. He didn't cover his face from humiliation and spitting. Remember, they spit on him. And why was he able to do that? Verse 7, for 
the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. I have set my face like flint. Um, in Luke 9:51, it's where it's where it says he set his face to or to go to Jerusalem. Like he knew exactly what was going to happen there. And he said, no, this is what I need to do. Um, he who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Does, uh, who has a case against me? You know, come on, let's, let's talk about it. Uh, who condemns me? Um, and then in the middle of verse 9, he says, Behold, they will all wear out like a garment, and the moth will eat them. In other words, these people that are fighting against Jesus and what he's doing in obedience to the Father, these people are transitory. They're, they're only going to live so many years. God is eternal. God is going to, you know, stick there. And then I really like verse 10. Who is among you? Okay, and there's kind of like three or four things. Who is among you that, number one, fears the Lord, and that, number two, obeys the voice of his servant, and number three, walks in darkness and has no light? That's kind of a um, little hard um, some scholars think that it means that they're in a dark place, like captivity, and they and they don't see, they can't see their way out. Um, hard times, like the exile. Okay, so so if if you if you fear the Lord and you obey the voice of His servant, and yet you're in a rough spot, let him do what. Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. That's a pretty good memory verse too, but it was a little longer. I wanted to give you a shorter one, but I put LFL there. Listen to the servant. Okay, behold. Now, this is, this is now talking about a different group of people. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, encircle yourselves with firebrands, which... Um, I think is like a torch or something, and walk in the light of your fire, so you made your own light, and among the brands you have set ablaze, this you will have for my hand. You will lie down in torment. So he's saying, if you fear the Lord, if you obey his voice, and even though you're in a dark time, you don't see the light, you don't see the, you know, the end of the tunnel and all, that, the, all those figures, then you should still trust in the Lord and rely on God. But on the other hand, if you try to fix it yourself, then you're not looking to God. And it's kind of back to that idolatry that he's challenged them with all along, right? So this is um, quite a powerful short little chapter. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Mm. Okay, so Lucci's saying that she found in a commentary where it talks about um, walking, uh, what verse was that? I've already flipped. Ten. When it says, um, if you, uh, the person that walks in darkness and has no light, that she, she said that the, the, 
the particular commentary that she looked at said that, um, how did you say it again? To walk in the light is to walk with the understanding that I am a sinner. Okay. The opposite of walking in darkness is walking in light. And if I'm walking in light, then I'm understanding what God has to say to me that, that I'm a sinner, that I only, that the only answer is to depend on him, which that could be because it's kind of a transition to that next verse of people that don't, that don't depend on him. Yeah, yeah. Who, who among you would walk in the darkness without a light? Yes, that could be too. If you, if you think about Hebrew, um, the way that they express things, there's often couplets, two lines that say the same thing. So um, if, if you look at it that way, then darkness and captivity uh, might be parallel. I don't know. Anyway, um, I think there's a big contrast between verse 10, the people that trust God, rely on him, and the people that do their own thing, which is what he's been talking to Israel about all along. Okay, so now let's go on to, to chapter 51, which is, of course, in the next lesson. Sorry to be confusing. Next week, I, our aim is to cover... Um, 52 and 53 in, in class, okay? Okay, so chapter 51, uh, what did you put for a title? The remnant is encouraged and exhorted. What else? God calls his people to listen to him, and he has a message of comfort and rescue. I put arise because it was several times in there. Arise, Jerusalem. God's anger is past, and you will return in joy. Got a little long-winded, but... Um, okay, so the first word is listen, and remember chapter 48. Yeah, 48. What do we say? 13 different times he said, listen, pay attention, give ear, heed. So again, it's a call for them to pay attention, to listen. He's talked about how he's well able to deliver them. If the last part of the previous chapter, if they trust in him, you know, he's going to bring them out and everything will be, be, you know, become reality that he's promised. But on the other hand, if they do their own thing, they will lie down in torment. So now he says, listen, you who pursue righteousness. So now he's talking, now he's back talking to those who follow him, um, who seek the Lord. Um, and what does he want them to do? What does he tell them to do? Okay, so what's the rock that they're supposed to look to? <clears throat> yes, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. So it's kind of like their source. And then he talks about who? Abraham and Sarah, which is the source. The first Jew, I called Abraham. My intention was to bless him as he walked in obedience with me. He was going to be a light to the nations, all that stuff. And um, I thought, okay, why didn't he talk about Moses? Because you know, all this stuff about the Exodus and he's, and you know, Moses was the 
recipient of the law and all that stuff. But I realized it's not about the law. They already they have the law and they're even kind of halfway going along with it just out of rote, you know, uh, activity. In verse 7, it kind of makes that more clear. It's about the heart because Abraham believed God when he didn't know what was going to happen, right? Verse 7 says, listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. So I thought, okay, that's, that kind of helped me understand why did he why did, they go, why did he go all the way back to Abraham? Okay, so the first three verses, he's talking uh, to those who do seek him, who do follow him. And he says, you know, go back. Remember the things that I've done in the past. And what's his point? What's it? Reminding them of what? Of all that he has done. Okay, because then he says, look to Abraham and Sarah when he, Abraham, was but one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. And in the same way, he's saying, I'm going to comfort Zion. Um, the, Lord, the Lord will comfort her waste places, will make her wilderness like Eden. Her desert will be like the garden of the Lord. Lord, joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of a melody. So he's saying, look, you might think that, that things look small and not very impressive right now but hey Abraham was just one person and I called him and by my power and by my blessing and by my working through him you've become a great nation <coughs> so pay attention to me oh my people and give ear to me so there's that same theme he said listen up in verse one now he says pay attention give ear um, I think I have Five times in this chapter, he says, hear, give ear, pay attention. And then three times he says, awake. And two times he says, rouse yourself. And one time he says, arise. So it's kind of like, listen up and do what I'm telling you to do. Okay, so verses four through eight, what's, what's he telling them to do? Or what's, he, what's his point in four through eight? He's offering salvation. He talks about justice and judgment. He talks about righteousness. <clears throat> and, then, and then he talks in verse 6 about, hey, take a look at the sky take, or the heavens. Take a look at the earth because the sky is going to vanish and the earth's going to wear out like a garment. Now that's starting to sound like New Testament stuff, right? That didn't happen when he brought them back from captivity so there's a couple of uh, I think you looked at Hebrews 1 10 through 12 and also 2nd Peter 3 10 to 13 did, was that in the lesson yeah did you glean, glean anything from those cross references what page was that on in the lesson I didn't write that down Let's see. Mm -mm -mm. I don't even see it in the lesson. Was it? No, I don't see it. Well, those are good verses to look up because it, 
it um, echoes the same thought that the sky will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment. And, and if you remember back, I had forgotten this, but chapter 24, that was in the middle, chapter 13 to 23 was about the destruction of the various nations, Tyre and, you know, Egypt and all this stuff. And, and in the middle of that, in chapter 24, there was a chapter about the coming judgment on the earth. And so chapter 24 in Isaiah has a, has a lot of these same ideas. So he's telling them they should listen up, that he has a law, that he's going to bring justice, that there's going to be judgment. And, and notice it's the peoples, verse 5, and the coastlands. And in verse 4, it's the peoples. So it's Gentiles as well as the Jews, right? Okay. Um, and then he says, um, as we go on in verse 6 on the back page, it says, and its inhabitants, the earth's inhabitants, will die in like manner. So he's talking about judgment on the earth, which is uh, Revelation, I don't know if I wrote down a good place to look, in. I guess I didn't write down right there. But he's talking about the judgment on the earth, and that has to happen in preparation for the new heaven and the new earth, right? He has to get rid of the old. Um, so he's talking about that the earth and the heavens, the created uh, world that we see, that those um, are temporary. But, in the middle of verse 6, but my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not wane. In other words, that they're not going to wear out. <laughs> um, listen to me. There's a Listen, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. And then he talks again about don't fear man, don't be dismayed uh, because the moth's going to eat them and the grub will, will eat them and they're transient. Don't be afraid of these temporary beings. I'm eternal. My salvation is forever. My righteousness is not going to wear out. Uh, you know, bank with the, the longevity, the, the, the eternal. Um, so then... Uh, let's see, but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. <clears throat> so then he starts in in verse 9, again, wanting them to wake up, wake up. So uh, wanting somebody to wake up, let's talk about that. <coughs> awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. So now he's addressing somebody or something that's called the arm of the Lord. Wake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. So he's talking about stuff like in the Old Testament uh, before this time, right? Um, so who or what is this arm of the Lord? I think it's Israel. Because in verse 5, he says, uh, my righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arm will judge the peoples. And we talked about the word arm before, didn't we? That <clears throat> it's, it's number 2220, 2220. And um, it, it me, its basic me, meaning is, is like um, the shoulder, it's, it's like this part of the arm, not the wrist, not the elbow, but this part of the arm. And it can refer to um, 
an important part of some of the sacrifices. When they sacrificed the animal, they were to do certain things with the shoulder, so to speak. But that's the literal meaning. It also can mean um, the basis of strength or power, a God's instrument of deliverance and judgment. So, so um, it has a couple of different meanings. It can even mean seed, like descendants, seeds. Okay, so he's saying, or somebody's saying, um, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. So are they calling God to act? I think they might be because look at the rest of the verse. He says, awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? So another reference to the Exodus. Um, so the ransomed of the Lord will return in the same way. The ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion and everlasting, again in contrast to these things that are going to pass away, the heavens and the earth, people that, that are wicked, an everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Now, what about Rahab? What, why does it say that, I think it's talking about God, um, that he cut Rahab in pieces? Okay, it, Rahab... Even though the Rahab character, you know, that met with the spies and all that stuff, she was not, she didn't live in Egypt, and that didn't happen in Egypt, but it's been used um, as a symbolic name for Egypt. Uh, let me see, I have a couple, uh, like in 30, verse 7, uh, when God was talking about Egypt, he called her, called it, uh, well, I'm not going to look it up. Th Yes, yes. Steve says that if you look up the Strong's number, which is 7294, um, it has to do with strength. Um, and even, like the next line says, who pierced the dragon, it even can refer to some kind of sea monster. Remember for the Hebrews, they're not a seafaring people. So the sea was this place of mystery and probably bad and scary and dark and all that. Um, yes, boaster. I have boaster. So a braggart, a boaster, somebody who's arrogant. Um, Pharaoh's army could be referring to, um, the dragon could be referring to Pharaoh's army. I think this is all about the Exodus, like how God intervened in miraculous and powerful ways. And I think what they're saying is it, at the beginning of verse 9, it's like, God, it's time for you to act. You know, uh, we know you've done great things in the past. And, and so we, you know, we're ready. We're ready. Um, and then it talks about how uh, in verse 11, in the same way as, as, God opened up a way and, and made, helped them escape miraculously from the enemy that wanted to destroy them. Uh, God will do that again. So, in, the, in verse 11, 
means kind of like in the same way or similarly, the ransom of the Lord will return. Okay, so uh, let's go down to verse 12. So what are they not supposed to do? Because he's, he's told them like what he's going to do and he's, and he's talking to people that are, that are righteous. They know righteousness, his laws in their heart. So what does he tell them not to do in this like, oh, 12 to 16? Don't be afraid of what? Do not fear men. So there's this theme all over. Remember clear back with um, Ahaz in chapter 7? Was that chapter 7? When, when he was challenged to trust God instead of these human armies. And, and that's been a theme all along. It's like, are you going to trust God or are you going to try to figure out your own solution? Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Okay, so he says, remember, I'm the one who comforts you. Um, and who are you that you would be afraid of, again, man who dies and the son of man who's like grass to the point that you have forgotten the Lord, your maker. And remember, he created, created the whole earth. Forgotten means um, it can mean um, to be oblivious to a lack of attention or memory, that kind of thing, like just eh, do your own thing. And, okay, so he says, who are you, uh, first of all, that you're afraid of man, secondly, that you have forgotten the Lord, and thirdly, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor. And then he says, hey, wait a minute, like, where is the fury of the oppressor? I'm telling you, the exodus will soon, the exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon. You're not going to die there in captivity. And you're not going to starve to death. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. I stir up the sea and its waves roar and the Lord of hosts is his name. I have put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth and to say to Zion, you are my people. And that's probably talking about the new creation, maybe that new heavens, new earth. Revelation. Okay, the shadow of the hand. What does that mean? Does anybody in, in Scripture put in the shadow of God's hand? Exodus 33, 33 Shirley says. And who's that about? 23. What verse? 17 through 23. 20, 20, 20, 20. <laughs> so who's, who's that talking about? What person? Remember Moses when he, he wanted to see God's glory and God covered him and protected him. I think there are other places where it talks about dwelling in the shadow of the Most High. In other words, he's, he's protecting in the Psalms. Yes. 33 uh, verses 17 to 23. Is that what you said? Okay. So then verse 17, he kind of starts over and says, rouse yourself, rouse yourself. And that means wake up. It's the same word as back in verse 9 where it says awake, awake and three times. It's the same word in Hebrew. Uh, so they're supposed to wake up and arise. So that means kind of like stand up, get ready to go, rear up. So you could be awake and just lie in bed. But he's saying, wake up, get ready to get ready. Um, and then why, what are they supposed to get ready for? 
Yeah, because he says, how, what, what picture does he use to tell them like their exile's almost over? He uses uh, some symbolic stuff. What does he talk about? A cup. Um, in verse 17, he says, You who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, and then the parallel, the chalice of reeling, you have drained to the dregs. That means you've, you've, you've completely consumed it. You've, you've tipped it up in those little settlings that are in the bottom of, like, well, we have homemade apple cider. We got little settlings in it. You know, they drank that. So in other words, it's almost done. And then if you go down to verse 22, Behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of reeling, and he says, um, and the chalice of my anger, and you will never drink it again. In fact, he will put it in the hand of their tormentors. So now he's going to, he's saying, I'm finished with this disciplinary time for you. You're going to come back, but I'm going to deal with the people that took you captive because their motive wasn't pure and godly. They, they were just doing their thing. So remember when Jesus said, uh, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. And that cup, like I've heard people talk about it, means like, oh, he didn't want to go through all the suffering and stuff. But I think it was the fact that he was going to bear God's wrath on our behalf. And the resulting separation. That's... I mean, if you read about crucifixion, the, the physical, well, first of all, the humiliation and the insult, insulting and the, you know, harassing him and hassling him and teasing him and torturing him and all that stuff, just the disrespect. And we'll get into that in chapter 52 and 53. But then the physical pain and suffering. But the greatest, I really believe, was that sudden separation from the father they've been in eternal harmony they knew you know the spirit and the father and the son they they were a team and they worked together and they honored one another and they communicated well with one another. they were like the model small group you know yeah. <laughs> or the model marriage you know they they um and then suddenly for a short time that was taken away and he knew, I think, I think he knew yeah. that it, that was going to happen. I mean, that's part of the package. So separation, yeah, separation from God, yeah. So, so he's talking about, he's using this picture of the cup of his wrath. In other words, it, that he has, has disciplined them and it's about over. And then he talks about, oh, you know, it seems like there's, this is verse 18. There's nobody to guide you back, nobody to kind of go with you. But he says, don't worry, you know, I will, I will do it. I will, I will be with you. I will take care of you. Uh, verse 22, the Lord who contends for his people. And then that, that he's going to turn things around so that they will be, um, they, they will then suffer God's wrath. Um, I will put it in the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. You have even made your back like the ground and like the street for those to walk over it. So, so 
um, when he says that they will never again uh, drink the cup of his anger, doesn't that sound like something maybe that hasn't happened yet? Yeah. Like, yeah, the, it, during that last seven years, it's referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. Remember the, the tribulation and all that? That's mostly, I mean, it's for everybody, but especially the focus is God is dealing with the Jewish people because by and large now they are not believing him. And so it could, it could refer to that probably the second half of the seven years and the middle is when the Antichrist says, oh, okay, all the fun and games are over. You're going to worship me. And he's been nicey-nice to the Jews and let them rebuild their temple and stuff, if I understand the order correctly. But then he's like, no more Mr. Nice Guy. And so um, when he says, you will never drink of my anger again, I mean, that's, I don't think that's happened yet. So that's an allusion, I believe, to the to the end times, the restoration of Israel at the end of the seven years. Um, let's see. If I have any other. Okay, what time is it? Oh my goodness, we did it. Do you want to start in 52 a little or do you want to go early? Oh, yes. What was your title for 51? Oh, we did talk about it a little bit. I had arised Jerusalem. God's anger is past and you'll return in joy. Um, also, I noticed that he said bless and comfort five times in 20 whatever verses. So that was that was a pretty frequently used. He said, listen or give ear or pay attention here five times plus another uh, six times he said awake um, arise rouse yourself in other words come on come on get with it um, so I mean this is good stuff where did you mark a lesson for life anything in chapter 51 um, yeah yes that was verse 8 Verse 16, yes, that was good. I put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand. And then, and then it's kind of interesting. He says, to establish the heavens and to found the earth and to say to Zion, you are my people. So I think there's a hint of the new heaven and the new earth in there. Mm -hmm. I think for me it was 12. Verse 12. Yeah. Don't fear me. Who are you that you're afraid of man? Like, did you forget you're my child? Did you forget I'm your God, the creator, the, you know, all these things? Yes. Okay, well, good job. I think we'll, we'll plan to do 52 and 53 next week. Now, you have a special little assignment for 53. It's not very long. It's only 12 verses, but um, I'm asking that you try to write it in a way that, did I say an eight-year-old could understand? Because my theory is you don't really understand something unless you can explain it simply. People that just use big words because it's a, 
it's a catchphrase or something. If you don't really understand it, you can't explain it. <laughs>